on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate, the Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be for a consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down, so the holy seed shall be its stump. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. And let us pray, asking the Lord to teach us from his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you have given to us in it everything that is necessary for faith and godliness. And we pray that you would teach us from your word this afternoon. We pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are open and receptive to your message. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a world that is chaotic and wicked, stressful and scary. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We hear about war and inflation and moral confusion The problems of our day seem to be ever-present and increasing. And so it is good to know that God is on the throne. The King of Kings is in charge. No matter what happens in our temporal worlds, God reigns. Isaiah's prophecy emphasizes first the majesty of God God is on the throne. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. Note that we're told this is in the day of King, the year of King Uzziah's death. King Uzziah had had a long reign, 52 years. He would have been the only king that most people in Judah would have known. 
He was a successful king, at least in measured in worldly accomplishments. He was a king that exhibited national power and prosperity. But we also know that his ending was unfortunate. When he was strong, his heart was lifted up, and he went into the temple to offer sacrifice. And you know the story from Second Chronicles 26, 23, that he was struck with leprosy. And so the closing line on Uzziah, it was that he was a leper, and as such he was cut off from the house of God. He was a leper until he died in violation of the law of God. He was judged. And so in contrast to a leprous earthly king banned from the temple, we see in Isaiah's vision a holy king, a sovereign king, whose majesty and glory fills the temple. The Lord is on his throne, high and lifted up. There is a Lord. He is called the Lord of hosts in verse 3. We are told in verse 5 that the king is Jehovah of hosts. Isaiah in the year that Uzziah dies, saw the real king, Jehovah of hosts, on his throne. Throughout history, kings come and kings go, peoples flourish, and decay nations rise and fall. But the one constant is that the Lord is on his throne. Does you read news? Maybe it's troubling to you, as it is to me. I should always remember that God is in charge, the Lord is on his throne, and indeed in the New Testament with reference to Jesus Christ, we read that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're told in the book of the Revelation that he is the ruler of the kings of earth. In a world of uncertainty, There's great comfort in knowing that our God reigns, our God sits on the throne. So first, the majesty of God. Second, Isaiah sees the holiness of God, say verses 2 through 4. We are told that the Lord is attended to by the seraphim, or literally the burning one. We know from elsewhere in Scripture that the Lord makes his angels messengers of fire or flames of fire. Here we have seraphim, amazing creatures that fly about and shield the Lord, and their, uh, their presence is overwhelming. Reminds me a lot of Ezekiel's vision in Ezekiel 1 where he sees a vision of God and there are amazing creatures attending to the Lord and his vision is filled with light and movement and colors and lightning. And we're told in Ezekiel 1 verse 28 that the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God was there and Ezekiel could only fall upon his face. Here in Isaiah 1 we see the seraphim attending to the Lord, and they proclaim God's holiness in verse 2. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
Uh, many theologians see here a Trinitarian allusion with the threefold ascription of holiness to the Lord. Certainly this testimony is carried into the New Testament. In Revelation 4, verse 8, we read, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The whole heavenly creatures proclaim a holy, sovereign, eternal God. Here in Isaiah 6, the seraphim also proclaim God's glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. As we look at the things of earth, we say, oh, there's all kinds of problems, and there's pollution, and you know, one thing or another, we look at the world around us and sometimes we see the troubles of our world. But here, they testify to an earth filled with the glory of God. Indeed, if you follow this language through Scripture, you find it all the time. Numbers 14.21 As I live, declares the Lord, the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Habakkuk 2, verse 14, a famous missionary verse in American history. The earth will be covered with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Isaiah 59, 19, they will see the glory of the Lord from the rising to the setting sun. Or in Psalm 72, 19, Blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen. And thus ends the prayers of David. It's an amazing vision. In verse 4, we're told about the posts of the door of the temple shaking with the noise. The house was filled with smoke. God's train filled the temple in verse 1. Psalm 99, we read, the Lord reigns, let the people tremble. He sits between the cherubim, let the earth be moved. Later in that same psalm, worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. A vision of the majesty of God and a vision of the holiness of God. Third, we see in Isaiah 6, an emphasis on the sinfulness of man in verse 5. Isaiah saw this vision of God and he is overwhelmed with his own sinfulness. Verse 5, he said, So said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king of the Lord Christ. Isaiah confesses that he has unclean lips or an unclean heart. He confesses that he is a sinner. He's in a whole nation of sinners, people with unclean lips. And he says that he is undone or taken apart. Woe is me. See, the holy God, he is convicted of his own wretchedness and liability to judgment. I expect if we compare ourselves to others, we might look pretty good. 
But if we compare ourselves to the holy God, we look off. The Lord said to Moses at the time of his self-revelation, no man can see me and live. And so Isaiah, the sinner, sees something of a vision of God, and he knows that he's in trouble. As the scripture says, all who sin and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, and Isaiah's testimony is, I'm undone, I'm cut off, I'm destroyed, I'm a man of unclean lips. Fourth, in verses 6 and 7, we see a vision of the salvation of God. One of the seraphim, verse 6, flew to me having in his hand a live pole which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Isaiah is in, in the temple in his vision. Salvation comes from the altar of God, a place of mercy and atonement, sacrifice. Seraphim took the burning coal and applied it to Isaiah's filthy lips. Salvation here is sovereignly initiated. Isaiah didn't go and catch a fault and get a coal and apply it to his own lips and even didn't even ask for it. He just knew his righteous condition. And God's messenger took that symbol of mercy and applied it to them. We are saved by grace through faith in the Lord's doing. Notice God's gracious declaration of salvation or the assurance of salvation in verse 7. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sins are purged. And that's God's announcement to you, Christian, if you are in Christ by faith, your sins are forgiven because of the grace and mercy of our God. Isaiah would later testify about the servant of the Lord, Isaiah 53, that the servant of the Lord is crushed for our iniquity. The Lord caused our sin to fall upon him. He will bear their iniquities and justify the many. And so, Christian, the Lord says to you that your iniquity is taken away, your sin is forgiven. Jesus paid the price. Fifth, we see Isaiah's call in verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. The Bible commentators will ask questions about whether this was the initial call by Isaiah. This happened sometime later, and it's not my purpose to talk about that here. It was just, just a call to service what's going on. Notice that there is a plural reference, who will go for us. And again, commentators note that in Isaiah 6, we find Trinitarian illusions in verse 3 and 8. Isaiah says, here am I, send me. He's willing to serve, seeing God's holiness and majesty, receiving God's mercy. He is willing to do what the Lord asks, and we should all be 
responsive to God's call. I've been reading the OPC General Assembly minutes. You can find this online. You can log in if you want. If you really like reading this, and you can read what they're up to. But I noticed that in the missionary report given by Doug Clausen, he noted a need for missionaries. They need missionaries, and particularly in Africa, and they have zero applicants. And so Doug Clausen, on Thursday afternoon, I think, read from Isaiah 6, 8, our verse here, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? So just a couple of days ago, uh, one of our OPC leaders was asking for people who might be called into the Lord's service internationally. Maybe it's you. I don't know. Just saying, there was a need. And Isaiah answered that call many years ago. Now, my final point is Isaiah's message. Isaiah has a message from the Lord. We are told specifically that the Lord wants him to take this message. Verse 9, and he said, go and tell this people. Now, sometimes when people get a message from the Lord, it's really positive. It's an easy message. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Who could disagree with that? A friendly and affirming message. Isaiah does not get an easy message. So he's volunteered, but listen to what the Lord wants him to do. First, he has a message of reprobation. He is to go out and tell them, look and listen, but do not see and understand and be saved. Well, that's a tough message. There are three things referred to here. A person's eyes and their ears and their heart or mind, and it's repeated twice. It's a tough message. Don't hear, don't listen, don't believe, don't be saved. Now, if you answer the call to OPC Foreign Missions, they might have other suggestions here for your message to deliver. But here's the message. Keep hearing, don't understand. Keep seeing, don't perceive. Make the heart of this people dull. Their ears have a... Unless they see with their eyes, they with their ears understand that their heart will turn and be healed. That's what I call this a message of reprobation. The interesting thing is that this passage, Isaiah 6, is referenced twice in the New Testament with the, at the time of the rejection of Christ. It's used in Acts 28, verses 25 through 28. And so when the people were hard-hearted and resisted the message of the gospel, the answer was Isaiah 6. It's fulfilled right here with the heaviness of the hearts of the people. In John 12, when people heard the message of the gospel concerning Christ, and they refused to listen. The message was, Isaiah 6 is fulfilled right here in John 12. You may feel uncomfortable with this message, but I'm just drawing your attention 
from what I Isaiah's particular message was. That's not to say that needs to be your message as you talk to people, but it is a stiff message of reprobation. It is a message of Christ. Look at John 12, verse 41. This is one of these places where we see or where we're told that Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled. Let me start at John 12, verse 37. But although he had done so many things before them, they did not believe in him that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. And then there are two different quotations from Isaiah. Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. So the rejection of Christ in John 12 is said to be the fulfillment of two passages in Isaiah, including Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. John 12, verse 41. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of it. And what's interesting is that we're told here, John 12, 41, that Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 3, speaking about the glory of God, was testifying to the glory of Christ. All right, that's pretty clear teaching. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. We know that many things in the Old Testament pointed to heaven Christ. And we know that after the resurrection, Jesus specifically taught his disciples the things about him from Scripture, from all of Scripture, from the Law and Prophets and the Psalms, all of Scripture that pertained to him. My guess is that this is one of those teaching points, John 12, 41. A message of reprobation, a message of Christ, a message of judgment. And so back in Isaiah 6, verses 11 through 13, we find reference to coming judgment, destruction, removal, exile, desolation. The terrible things that would befall Judah are here prophesied and they came to pass. Now we'd rather not think about judgment, but it's one of the things that Scripture foretells and here foretold it was accomplished. But finally, there is a message of hope in verse 13. When Isaiah said at the conclusion of the chapter that the holy seed shall be its stump. Throughout Isaiah, we find a message of hope and restoration, hope and return. The holy seed remains. In chapter 7, Isaiah names his son a remnant in verse 3. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah prophesies of a way that God provides salvation for sinners. In Isaiah 9, Isaiah prophesies about the coming of God's Son who would be Savior and King. 
And so despite the challenging and frightening and humbling message that Isaiah has, there's also a message of hope and the coming restoration of God's people. Let me close with this. Our times are troubled, unpredictable, uncertain, very disruptive, very frightening, all kinds of things happen. The children of Judah, Uzziah's death would emphasize the uncertainty of the future. Even the best human thing could be imperfect. Uzziah was a leper, now he's done, what's going to happen? And the message or vision to Isaiah is that the Lord, the sovereign king, was on the throne. The king is on the throne. He's eternal. He's all-powerful. He's holy. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. His glory fills the earth or shall fill the earth. He governs all things. He governs all of human history. He determines the destinies of nations and the boundaries of their habitation. And he is a God of mercy and the God of grace. For sinners, people of filthy lips who are hopeless and undone or feeling wiped out, standing before a holy God, he sends grace, he sends a Savior, he provides a way of salvation such that a proclamation can be made. Your iniquity is taken away and your son, your sins are heard. Because of what Christ has accomplished, we have salvation and the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. And this same God who does all of these things calls us to his service. Now that might look like different things for different people. Maybe it's to be a missionary to Africa like they were asking for on Thursday at the General Assembly. Maybe it's some service here to this congregation. Maybe it's some other service for the Lord. The Lord calls us to be engaged in His ministry for His service. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this vision of your sovereign power and holiness, your majesty and rule in the way in which you govern all things. We feel small and petty compared to the movements of history, but it is enough for us to be reminded of your control. We pray that you would help us to understand our sinfulness but to understand even better your grace. We know that apart from the mercy of Christ, we are lost and without hope. But we know that because of Jesus Christ, we have the promise of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and life everlasting. We pray that you would help us to be willing to do your work and be your servants. It is our prayer that the kingdom of grace would be advanced we ask that you would help us 
to serve that end and that goal. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me in closing to Psalm 32c. Let's stand as we sing Psalm 32c.